So this morning, what we're going to do is just uh, before we, we're going to get back into the book of Matthew next Sunday, and we're going to do the second half of the book of Matthew. If you've been with Park Community Church for over a year, you know that we were studying the book of Matthew for quite a while. We hit a pause on it this fall. We're going to jump back in and finish the second half of the book here this new year. Uh, but before we do, I want to pause on this Sunday and just talk about our vision for the upcoming year, for 2020. As we flip the calendar, I think it's a good time for us to just pause and kind of reflect on what God has done in the last year and what he may be doing currently and leading us into the new year. How many of you are New Year's resolution type? Put your hand up nice and high. How many of you make some New Year's resolution? All right, we're five days in. Out of the seven of you, how many of you have already failed? <laughs> you don't have to share that with us. Now, I said this last year, and I'll say it again because about 50% of you are new since last year. I'm not a huge New Year's resolution guy, but I am a big New Year uh, reflection guy. I, I love taking some time between Christmas and the New Year to just kind of pause and reflect on the last year and ask God um, what, what he what he did in my life and how I responded well, how I didn't respond so well, and what he may be leading to in the next year. I love to reflect. And I do that for my family. I do that for my own life and my own spiritual walk, and then for our church family as well. I encourage all of you, whether it's at the new year, whether it's at your birthday, whether it's a random Thursday throughout the year that you feel the conviction of God, to spend some time reflecting. When you think about it like driving down the road, that when you're driving down the road, your primary gaze ought to be out the windshield, right? You ought to be looking forward, not backward. But you have these mirrors, the rearview mirror um, and then the side mirrors to, to remind you of what's behind you, where you came from, a car that may be coming up too quick. It's good every now and then to glance into those mirrors and to be reminded of what's behind you. But ultimately, your gaze is out the front window. And so I encourage you to find times in your life, find periods where you can do a little bit of reflecting, looking back, considering where you came from, considering what God has done, and then ultimately turning your gaze out the front window. And so that's kind of what I want to do a little bit of this morning, is just look out the front window and say, where, where is God leading us in this next year? I spent some time thinking, praying, studying, listening to God over the last couple weeks. And as I did that, he put... Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 on my heart. If you were here a year ago, you may remember, probably three of you remember this, I shared those same passages last year as the vision for 2019. And so this isn't a recycled sermon. We're going to look at the same passages as we did one year ago, but it's not a recycled sermon. We're looking at the same truth from a different angle. That's one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that all scripture, all passages have a core main truth. But just like a diamond, you can look at it from different angles and it refracts light differently. And you, you get a different picture, you get a different understanding. And so this morning, we're going to look at these passages. Last year, we looked at these passages and talked about having deeper roots. And, and we'll see this in the text that, that God says that a tree will blossom and flourish and grow if it has deep roots. And so that's what we talked about last year. And in 2019, I, I believe God helped our roots to grow deeper. And that's a continual journey. We want our roots to continually grow deep and wide because fruit is only produced from having deep and wide roots that pull in the nourishment of God's word. And so that was last year. This year, as we transition as we come back to these passages and transition into a new year, I want to look at these passages with a little bit of a different angle and talk about how I believe God is applying them to our church in this upcoming year. So to do that, I'm going to ask that you stand as I read the passages, and then we'll get going with the sermon. I'm going to read Psalm 1 first. It's on page 
448 in the Pew Bible. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now flipping over to Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. That's on page 645 in the Pew Bible. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Lord God, we thank you for these words. We thank you that you have spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, through the psalmist, and now this morning actively through your Holy Spirit who is living within us. And again, through this word, as, as your word says about itself, that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And so, Lord, we come this morning hungry to hear from you, and I pray that we would, that you would set our feet upon the rock, that we would be like trees planted by streams of water, yielding fruit, regardless of the season, because we have roots that go to the stream of living water. Do that for us this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, in Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Well, the, the big idea that I want to pull out from this text, and I'm primarily going to look at the Jeremiah 17 passage this morning. The Psalm 1 passage is just a great pair, pairing with Jeremiah 17, and I may come back to it a little bit, but primarily I want to camp in the Je Jeremiah 17 passage. And the big idea, it's all about trusting God. That's the big idea of the passage. But the angle that I want to look at, it, kind of the nuance that I want to pull out of it, is this idea that seasons are inevitable, therefore environments are essential. Seasons are inevitable, therefore environments are essential. This is precisely what God is getting at in our text. He's communicating to his people through the prophet Jeremiah that seasons are inevitable, therefore environments are essential. Let's consider the context of Jeremiah 17 to kind of understand what's happening here. And, and we all know this, right? That seasons are inevitable. You live in Minnesota. One day it's snowing, and, it, and then the next day it's negative 20 degrees, and then the next day it's sunny and 40 and everything's melting. This morning, if you were up early, you heard rain and sleet coming down. Seasons are inevitable. I love the change of seasons, going from spring to summer to fall to winter. Personally, I just embrace the seasons. I love the seasons. But we know that seasons are inevitable. Yes, yes, the seasons of the world, the seasons that we experience as Minnesotans, but also the seasons of life, Right? 
we go through seasons as people, don't we? Some of the seasons of life that we go through reflect the summer. Everything's warm, everything's bright, everything seems to be going well. Some of the seasons that we go through in life reflect the fall. Things seem like they're kind of withering and fading and slowing down and dying. Some of the seasons that you go through in life reflect winter. It's cold, it's bitter, it's dark. You just wish it was over and that it would end and that spring would come. And then some of the seasons in life that we experience are like spring. It's, there's new growth, there's new hope, there's a fresh horizon. And so this is true for us as people. And God knows it and God wants to prepare his people. He wants to meet you in your seasons this morning, regardless of what season you're in. He wants to meet you there and give you hope. And there is hope for us in the seasons of life. And there's hope for God's people in the seasons of life. Israel, his people, the Old Testament, they had been through many seasons. Seasons when they were on top. Seasons when they had a king who was ruling. They, they were powerful. They were prominent. They had all that they needed. And then seasons where they didn't have a king. Seasons where they were in exile. And God is preparing Israel right now for a season of exile. For a season of despair, of depression, and doubt. Look again at Jeremiah 17. Let's start in verse 1 to get the context here. Verse 1 says, this is Jeremiah the prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord to God's people. He says, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. While the children remember their altars and their ashram, ashram is a pole to a, to a false god, to a pagan god. Ashram poles were these, these erected idols that people would worship, and they would worship false gods. And this pole was kind of seen as a god. It was an idol of a god. And so God here is saying there's some judgment, there's some discipline, there's some chastening upon the people of Israel, upon the clan of Judah for their false worship for their raising up false altars, for their, their worshiping false gods. It says, beside every green tree and on the high hills. So God had created this great world for them to live in with all this beauty, with these natural seasons, and they were worshiping false gods on the mountain in the open country. It says, your wealth and all of your possessions will give you spoil as a price for the high places. See, so there was a season of wealth and possessions, a season where things were going well, where God was blessing his people with, with financial good, with, with circumstantial good. But they took advantage of that season. They took credit for that season. They worshiped false gods, false idols. And God is saying, now all that is going to be taken away. Verse 4, he says, you shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. And so this is before God's people Israel are dragged off to Babylon in the exile. So, so they're entering this season. They, God is warning them through the prophet Jeremiah that because of their taking advantage of a good season, because of their taking credit for a good season, because of their false worship, because of their idolatry, because of their disobedience to God, he's going to lead them into a season of drought, disaster, and despair. They're about to be dragged off to exile in Babylon. They'll end up being there in, in the Old Testament story. They'll be there for 70 years, away from their home, away from their worship, away from their temple, away from their holy city, Jerusalem. 
It's like if someone picked you up out of your culture, out of your context, out of your worshiping family and church family, and just threw you into a foreign country with pagan gods and said, good luck. 70 years you were there. You didn't know the language, you didn't know the culture, you, you, you didn't worship or believe in their false pagan gods. And so God is preparing his people for a season. They're entering a season of despair, a dark season. And he says, verse 5 and 6, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and he shall not see good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So God is saying, when you trust in self, when you trust in false gods, when you put hope in your effort, your ability, your wisdom, your money, or the gods of the world, you will wither and die. It will lead to seasons of depth, of despair, and death, and depression. And so that's what's happening here in the context. Let's just keep in mind in general that we all go through seasons, right? So God is preparing them for a season. This season is actually coming about because of their own doing. It's a season where God is disciplining them, where God is chastising them, where he's chastening them and helping them to grow and to turn back to him. Sometimes, church, we enter these seasons because of our own doing. Sometimes God leads us into seasons of doubt, despair, and distance. I mean, one of the biggest things that Israel was facing here was that God was distant. They weren't in Jerusalem. They weren't in their holy city. They weren't able to worship him in his presence. They weren't able to uphold the day of atonement. They weren't able to uphold the Old Testament sacrifices. And this was their own doing. And so when we go through the seasons of life, we ought to stop and consider, what season am I in and why am I in this season? Did I put myself here? Is God disciplining me for something? Is God trying to wake me up to something? Have I become blind to him? Have I ignored him? Have I worshipped false gods? Have I worshipped false idols? Why am I in this season? Sometimes we are in a season, a less than desirable season, because of our own doing, and God is using it to discipline us. Other times, seasons just happen to us, and they're out of our control. Not every bad season, not every dry season, not every winter is a discipline for your disobedience. Sometimes these seasons are just the result of the broken, fallen world that we live in. Am I right? And we experience these seasons, don't we, church? And so I want you to ask yourself, as you head into 2020, what season are you in? And why are you in that season? Are you in a season of summer, everything is good, God is blessing you? Great, praise God for that. Don't take credit for it, praise God for it. Stay humble, worship him. Are you in the winter? Are things dark do you have despair and doubt? And does God feel distant? Ask yourself, why am I in this season? Maybe just circumstances out of my control have happened to me. Maybe God's disciplining you. So, so ask yourself that. God, are you disciplining me? Why? How have I been disobedient? How have I been, how have I been negligent to you? And, and would you convict me and cause me to walk in your ways again? I don't want to be like Israel, even though we all are. And we tend to be, which is why we need Jesus, which is what we'll get to in a minute. But, but ask yourself, why am I in this season? Why is everything around me dry and, and drab? And, 
and as I've asked myself this question for our church, so I've got my own process, me and my family, kind of thinking through why we're in this season of life, and then God has tasked me to lead my family, to, to lead us. Seasons are inevitable, so we're all going to go through seasons, and God has tasked us to lead the people around us into environments that will help them to flourish in spite of the season. We'll get there in just a minute. But before we do, just ask yourself, what season are you in? And, and God doesn't necessarily promise to lead you out of that season overnight. He has you in that season for a reason. He wants to produce something in you that, that you couldn't muster up on your own by having you in that season. And so ask him and consider. As I've done this for my family, I've also done this for our church family. And honestly, I think our church family, in spite of numeric growth and things on the surface seem to be, very, be going very well, like there's, there's fruit blossoming on the tree, our church family is in a season of suffering, loss, pain, questions, doubt, and depression. As I pastor many of you, and some of you are new, some of you are checking this church out, what, what you need to know is that our church is made up of a bunch of broken people who are suffering and struggling. Like, uh, it, it seems by the, by the look of it on the outside that our, season, our church is in a season of kind of late summer, nearing the harvest, things are growing and budding and they're ripe, but I know personally that many of us are struggling. It feels like internally, like if we're to, to zero out of the big picture and think about our own life, like we're in a season of winter. Things are cold, things are dry, things are dark, things are dreary, and we're not sure why God feels so distant. And so as we head into 2020, I want us to know, and I want you to know, that that's life. Seasons are inevitable. Sometimes those, those winter seasons, unfortunately, sometimes in Minnesota they're three months, other times they're like nine months, Right? So kind of even using that as a metaphor for our lives, sometimes our, our dry seasons, our, our dark seasons, sometimes they're short and brief. Sometimes they're extended. Sometimes they last for years. For some people, it seems like it lasts for life. Other people, it seems like they're always in the summer. I don't get it. Why is their season always summer? And mine, it's like always winter but never Christmas, to borrow the words from C.S. Lewis. In Chronicles of Narnia. Church, just know unmet expectations create frustration. So if you expect to always be in a season of summer, you're going to be frustrated by seasons of winter. So embrace this reality because we all know it to be true that seasons are inevitable. Therefore, environments are essential. This is what God's getting at here in this text. He, he's reminded them they're headed into a season of, of drought, of depression, of distance. But he says, even in that season, there's hope for them. Look at verse 7 and 8. He said, blessed is the man, and this just is mankind. Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord, all capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, God, I am that I am. Blessed is the person who trusts in Yahweh, whose trust is Yahweh. 
They are like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Isn't that amazing? The seasons are inevitable. This passage is communicating to us God's people are about to head into a bad season, a dry season, a dark season, a season of distance for 70 years. And God is saying that in spite of that season, the surrounding circumstances of your life, you are blessed if you have roots that go deep by the stream. Regardless of the season, you can actually bear fruit in a season of drought. The, the, the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who abides, somehow they're able to fight anxiety in the midst of a bad season, in the midst of the winter, in the midst of the drought, in the midst of the distance, in the midst of the disappointment, in the midst of the depression. The person who trusts the Lord is able to bear fruit because it's in the right environment. You see that? Seasons are inevitable Therefore, environments are essential. God's people are about to go through a season that's going to require an environment of trusting God. It's going to require the right type of environment for them to flourish. And so how does a tree grow? God is using the metaphor of a tree here. A tree needs soil, a tree needs water, and a tree needs the sun. Right? These are the environments that a tree needs to grow. A tree needs soil, a tree needs water, and a tree needs the sun to grow. Environments are essential. And God here is promising that if we're in the right environment, just like a tree, he's using this metaphor here. So the metaphor is a tree needs to be in the right environment. It needs soil, it needs water, it needs sun to grow. Likewise for people. Regardless of the surrounding circumstances, regardless of the season that you're in, you can grow if you're in the right environment. The right environment of soil, water, and sun. And so let's talk about this for a minute. There's three environments that I think are essential for us. As, as I think about 2020 and our church heading into or remaining in whatever season this is for us, how do we grow regardless of the season? If the season is inevitable, therefore the environment is essential, what type of environment do we need? What type of environment do you need and do we need to create as a church? The first one is the soil of community. Like a tree needs to be in soil, in rich soil, and regard, you know, every tree, tree can grow in a different type of soil. Okay, but it needs to have the right environment. For that particular tree to grow in that area, it needs to be in the right type of soil. And likewise, it's the same for us. We need the environment. We need a rich soil of community, church. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. That's why coming out of your homes and and, and coming out of your normal rhythms to gather on a Sunday and worship Jesus and, and see the body in action is so important for you, church, even if you don't feel like it, even if you, you have your doubts, your questions, even if you're struggling, just being around people. It helps keep you in the soil that will lead to growth regardless of the season. That's why we need friends. 
Church family, regardless of your season, seasons are inevitable, therefore environments are essential. You need an environment of, of community. You need the rich soil of community. And so, you need friends. Maybe you feel like you don't have friends. Pray, ask God, put yourself out there, pursue friendship. Stick around in a place long enough to develop some acquaintances that over time can become more than acquaintances, they can become friends. You need mentors, regardless of how old you are. Regardless of how old you are. Younger people, we need older people to mentor us. Older people, you need people older than you to mentor us. And you also need people younger than you to mentor you. And those of us who are younger, we even need younger people to mentor us. My children mentor me. It's not like this formalized mentoring relationship where I sit down with a cup of coffee with my six-year-old son, Judah, and say, teach me all the things that you know about life. But as we do life together, I learn a lot about childlike faith. I learn a lot about persistence. And persistence can be a good trait if used in the right way. We need mentors, church family. Part of the, the rich soil of community is having friends, it's having mentors. Now, just a, a point on mentorship. I, oftentimes, young people are wanting mentors, and sometimes we have this like elevated understanding of what a mentor is, and we go into these, these relationships with other people, and like, will you be my mentor? And they're like, that sounds intimidating and weird, and I don't really know how to do that. Just get some people around you who you can have coffee with, who you can have meals with, who you can be in their homes, who you can have into your homes, and start learning from them observing their life. When I was a, a college student, there was a lot of talk about mentorship, and so I thought, I need to find a mentor. And I kept striking out because nobody could be my Yoda. <laughs> right? Oftentimes we think about this mentor-mentee relationship, and we're like, I'm Skywalker, and I need a Yoda to teach me the ways. And, and believe it or not, nobody older than you, no matter how wise, how godly, how great they are, how much you look up to them, can be your Yoda. You need a constellation of mentors. You need, you need somebody who you're like, I love how they use their money. I'm going to just get around them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy them coffee. I'm going to ask them how they use their money. You need somebody who, I love how they lead their family and how they love their family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them over for dinner, and this is how it works. Just, just young people who want mentors, open up your eyes, look around, start observing people, understand some good traits that they have, and just figure out how to learn from them. You don't have to ask them to be your mentor. You could. Some people are up for that. Many people are scared off by it because they're like, I don't have a curriculum. I don't know. You want to meet every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m.? I, I don't. We could read the book of John together. I don't know. Then after that, maybe the next book of the Bible. I, it, that's okay. Get around people. You need mentors. Don't assume somebody will seek you out either. Oftentimes we think, oh, if some older person would just seek me out and ask if they could mentor me, it's not going to happen. The Bible in Proverbs tells us to seek out wisdom. So if you want a mentor, if you want to grow, if you want the rich soil of community that includes a mentor, seek somebody out. And don't scare them off by saying, will you mentor me every Tuesday at 6 a.m.? Say, can we grab coffee sometime? And come with some questions ready. Hey, tell me about when you were my age. What were your challenges? What were your struggles? What were your joys? What do you wish that you had known when you were my age? Don't seek to formalize the relationship, again, like Yoda and Skywalker. Just, it's not helpful. And get a constellation. Another thing that we need in the, in the rich soil of community is just church members and family. 
And this is one of the reasons why we promote membership, why we want to grow membership at Park Community Church, because it communicates who's saying, I'm all in, this is my family. It's not just randomly who happens to come on a Sunday morning or who's been coming forever on a Sunday morning but has never said, yes, I'm committed. It's, it, this is helpful. And this is not a plug for Park Community Church. You do not need to become a member of Park Community Church, but I encourage you, if you are here today and you want to be in the rich environment of community so that you could grow through any season of life, find a church family and put your roots down there. Find a church that has a rich environment of community, and we'll talk about a few more pieces of this environment in a minute, but find a church family that you can be a part of and put your roots down and become members, become brothers and sisters with people that you don't even necessarily always like because it's good for your soul. It reminds you it's not all about you. And when you go through a season of life, maybe that person who you saw sitting in your church for years and you've never had a word with them, maybe some Sunday God will, will supernaturally lead you to into the same bagel tray and you'll be like, hey, I've never met you. I've seen you for three years, and I've never introduced myself. Hi, my name is Andrew. Hi, my name is whatever. So-and-so just was diagnosed with cancer. I've been through that. Let's talk about it. Right? This is why church family matters. And then lastly, with this point of this, the soil of community, is just this is why we promote and why we do community groups. Because Sunday mornings are important, they're meaningful, but they're very shallow. You can only scratch the surface, right, relationally. You can't build community in an hour and a half on a Sunday when most of it is me talking at you. You're sitting shoulder to shoulder with the person. You're not looking them in the face. You're not hearing their story. And so we encourage you to get into smaller communities, whether it's a formalized, organized church community group or whether it's a group of people that you do life with together, you need people to do life with. This is how we grow. This is part of the environment that will help us weather any storm, that will help us get through any season. Next, the water of the word. So like a tree needs soil, a tree also needs water. Photosynthesis is an amazing thing where a tree gets a rain and it turns it to energy into food with the sun, right? Water and sun together creating life and growth. This is an amazing reality. And, and it's a metaphor. God, again, God is using this metaphor of a tree growing in any season for us to grow in any season. And just like a water, a tree needs water. That's what he's saying here in Jeremiah. He's like a tree, verse 8, planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. A tree is dependent on water for its growth. In the same way, church family, you are dependent on the word of God. Scripture often compares, it uses this metaphor of rain like the word of God going out. In fact, in Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, this is on page 615 in your pew Bible, Isaiah 55 Verse 10 and 11, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, Scripture uses this, this analogy, this metaphor of water for the Word of God. 
you, if you want to be in the right environment, to grow through any season, you need a steady stream of the word of God. It's water to your soul. It, it, it quenches your thirst. It causes growth regardless of the season. Rain dries up. That's, that's what it's getting at here. Sometimes rain dries up, and so we need roots that go deep and pull water from the stream or from the underground stream. Sometimes those grow up, and God is the, God is the one who causes the rain. And so it's this, this reality that we are desperate for the word of God. We desperately need water of the word, and there's a couple ways to do this. The most important way, this isn't a commercial for me preaching at you, but the most important way is to be in a church that preaches and studies the Bible. Historically, I mean, not everybody had a Bible in their hand and was able to do daily devotions at their home until the printing press, right? Historically, the church of Jesus Christ grew as they gathered and they studied the letters of the apostles in the Old Testament together. So historically, the best way for us to receive the water of God's word is to gather and to study and to read and to listen and to think and to open God's word. Whether that's in a Sunday morning gathering, whether that's in a living room, whether that's in a Bible study group, whether that's a community group or a Bible study fellowship or a group of friends, the, the most important way is a local church that opens and studies the word. Again, this is an event Sunday morning is in an event, so when I say a local church that studies the word, I don't mean just this event. I mean a community, a family of people that opens the word together and waters each other's soul with the truth of God's word. Not just a social club, not just a Sunday morning gathering, a group of people that open the word, that know one another and study the word together. This is, again, why we promote and why we believe in community groups. And, and outside of that, I mean, add in a Bible study. Add in a Bible reading plan. These are some ways that you can constantly feed your soul. I'm going to break out my wife for just a minute. She's not here, so I can do it. I don't know what I'm going to do in the second service when she is here. She hates when I talk about her, but she does this. And she, she's just, she's, I see her continually growing in the Lord, regardless of the seasons of life that we go through, because she makes herself an involved, available, meaningful member of the church of Jesus Christ. She's not the pastor's wife. She's a member of the local church. She's a part of a community group that studies the Bible. She goes to BSF and studies the Bible. BSF is Bible Study Fellowship. She meets with ladies to study the Bible, and she, every morning, mostly, depends on how late the kids were up, Every morning, primarily, almost every morning, she's up early reading her Bible in a chair in her house. And so I see growth in her regardless of the seasons of life that we go through because she has this steady stream of the Word of God. And so church family, if you want to grow regardless of the season, get a steady stream of the Word of God. You need to be watered with His Word. And then lastly, the same way that a tree needs the light of the sun, right? Again, photosynthesis, we need the light of the sun, the Son, Jesus Christ. This metaphor goes so deeply. That's not a cheesy play on words, the sun and the sun. That's intentional. Yeah, we need the sun, actually. You should get outside and let the sun hit you, and I know that's hard right now. Let's all go to Mexico for a week together and get some sun, right? We need some vitamin D. 
But more importantly, I mean, just as important as a tree is dependent on the the sun, the hot ball of fire in the sky to give it nourishment so that it would grow, you and I were dependent on the Son of God. In the same way that a tree needs the light of the sun, we need the light of God's Son, church. Regardless of what season you go through, if you're an if you are in an environment where there's a rich soil of community, if you're being watered consistently with the word of God, and if the light of God's Son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is shining into your life, into the dark crevices of your life, into the secrets of your life, into the things that you don't want other people to know, if the light of Jesus is shining into there, you'll grow regardless of the season environments are essential, church, because seasons are inevitable. It's because, I believe this point, the light of the sun is so important for us, the light of the Son of God. This is why we take communion every week at Park Community Church, to remind us that we are dependent on Jesus. This is a way for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's a way for us to let the light of God's Son, Jesus the Christ, peer into every nook and cranny of our lives and nourish us so that we can grow regardless of the seasons of life that we trace through. This is why we sing songs about Jesus. Oh, how I love the songs that Pastor Ben and his team picks out because they're focused on Jesus. They may not be the best song that's being played on the radio, no one even thinks that's the best song. Usually the songs played on the radio are like, meh. I was listening to... I shouldn't go on this rabbit trail. I was in the, the dentist office recently, and they had the Christian radio station on, and I should have been happy about that, but it was awful. I'm like, these songs, all of them try to make everything tidy and neat, and the DJ, whatever she was saying in between the song, I was like, just make it stop. This is not helping my soul. Neither is the dental hygienist scraping at my teeth, but that's beside the point. Where was I going? I don't even know. The songs. This morning, we were singing before the throne of God above. And this, this line, we sang it, and I just wanted to jump out of my body and rejoice. Instead, I just did one of these little things, because after all, can't express ourselves too much. Here's what we sang. And I wonder how many of us just sang it out of routine and didn't get it. But, but it, we sang this truth. Because of the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Amen? That's the light of the sun shining into every nook and cranny, every dark space, every desperate space, every dry space, every distant space, every doubtful space, every questioning space of your life when we gather and when we take communion and when we sing God's truth, when we sing the gospel, when we open up the word of God, it's because we need Jesus, church. You don't need 10 steps on how to have a better 2020. You don't need seven steps on how to live your best spiritual life in 2020. You need three things. Community, the word, and the son, right? No, really, you need one thing. You need, the, you need Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so we gather to sing because the sinless Savior died so that my sinful soul 
could be counted free. Amen? And so when you come and take communion this morning, remember that. Jesus died. These elements represent his life, his death. The, the bread represents his body broken for you. The cup represents his blood shed for you. A sinless Savior dying in your place so that you might be set free. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, these elements are here to remind you. They're here to let the light of the Son of God shine onto your life and cause a growth regardless of the season that you're in. If you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. We encourage you to get in an environment of people who will point you to the substance of life, the truth of life, Jesus the Christ. But if you're not sure about that, we ask that you abstain from communion. We believe it's here for believers. And if you're not sure, I'd love to talk to you this morning. Regardless of your background, though, regardless of your denomination, regardless of your connection with this church, if you believe in Jesus, we want you to be reminded that he is your life. We want the light of the Son of God to shine onto you this morning. So we invite you to come and take communion as we respond to the gospel this morning. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you are a loving, gracious God, that you are a good heavenly Father who knows what our life is like because Jesus came and lived among us. He had the same temptations we have. He, he had the same hungers and thirsts and pains and agony and losses and disappointments that we experience, and yet he never sinned. The sinless Savior died so that our sinful souls could be counted free. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that. Thank you for meeting us in the seasons that we're in. I pray that we would do our work to be in an environment that would help us to grow, regardless of the season. Ultimately, Lord, we pray that you would do a supernatural work causing us to grow. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.